welcome to the Active Faith Podcast, where we are building a theology of self-care together. My name is Andrew Weir. I am your host, and I am the Runnin' Rev. Through conversations with others and reflections, we are seeking to build a theology of self-care, exploring how we take that initiative to care for ourselves as we seek to live out our faith and vocations. In this episode, I am interviewing Andy Wells, who is an author of the book Tried to Be Straight. We talk a little bit about his book, as well as a little bit of diving into this nature of self-worth. Andy, as you will hear, uh, is a gay man who has struggled with this, uh, being a born-again evangelical Christian and what it has meant to wrestle with uh, what that has looked like in his life. And so Andy and I have a nice little conversation continuing to explore this nature of self-worth and what he has learned in his journey. So let's dive into this conversation and hear more about that journey as we listen to Andy Wells. All right. Welcome in, everybody. Uh, Today I've got with me uh, Andy Wells. Andy, how are you doing today? Fantastic. How's it going, Andrew? Everything is going well. You know, we're uh, hunkering down here in Virginia, getting ready for uh, the hurricane to start making its way up the coast. But so far, so good. Just a lot of wind. Um, so, uh, Andy, before we get started and dive into uh, who uh, dive into your book here and dive in a little bit into self worth and and all that fun stuff that we talk about here on Active Faith, uh, let's introduce you to our listeners. So, who are you? Where are you from? And what does self care mean to you? Sure. <clears throat> who am I? That's a that's a great question. Um, <laughs> A, a friend and mentor of mine about 15 years ago told me that it would be neat that some, he said, someday you're going to figure out who you are and that's going to be really neat to watch. Um, and so I'm still in the process of figuring out who I am, but I'm, I'm getting a lot closer than I was 15 years ago for mm. sure. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that, but I'm a very active guy. Um, I'm, uh, uh, I work in the utility business. Uh, for work, I, I live in the Bay Area of California, uh, San Francisco Bay Area. It's an exciting place to uh, to live and and work and be. <clears throat> um, I I have a ton of hobbies. Some people uh, so, to some people I say I, I have all the hobbies, but I don't have all of them because there's still a lot I want to try. But uh, right now, the current hobbies are flying airplanes, uh, swimming, um, being really active at, at my church and uh and uh, as an author i i just uh just released a book not too long ago so that's uh uh that's who i am where i am and and let's see what what oh what does self care mean to me i think i think self care means taking my well-being more seriously than the perceived opinions of others mm. and where, where I have fallen down in that area in my life and why I get that definition is <clears throat> there was a time that my perception of others, of the opinions of others about me was so important and so paramount. It led me to almost self-destruct. Mm-hmm. So, so now I take, I take the opposite track and I, I try to, I try um, to, it's, it's, you know, there's there's a lot of unprogramming that has to go on in my brain, but um, but yeah, it's it's important for me to recognize when I'm doing that and say, okay, you're 
you're more worried about what this person thinks about you than you are uh, how much sleep you you're gonna get. And maybe you just need to sleep and say the heck with it. You know? Oh no, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I think for for me, as I've kind of gone on this path of trying to discover this theology of self care in myself. Yeah. The, the first step, and, and as I preach the series at my church here, the, the first step really is this understanding of self-worth. You know, if we are going to ascribe to Christian beliefs, then, then we have to really understand that the base of those beliefs is being created in God's image. And yeah. that in and of itself should be able to define the purpose and reason behind being able to care for ourselves. Because uh, no matter where you go from there, knowing that you've been created in God's image should give you that sense of worth and identity to feel as though no matter who you are, no no matter what your circumstances, that you should be able to care for yourself and not to have to feel to define yourself by who other people think you should be. Um, yeah. And that gets into our conversation today because uh, Andy reached out to me and and uh, let me know a little bit about him and and his history with the church and just life in general. Uh, and so, Andy, why don't you take us on a little journey? Because uh, your book, which I will make sure to to link the um, Amazon uh, uh, uh version for for folks who want to but uh your book tried to be straight it really is a dialogue of uh what it what it means not to be what it means to be a gay christian yes uh but also a, a very insightful understanding of unpacking an idea of self-worth in the midst of a of an environment that may not always be welcoming so can you maybe take us back on your life journey a little bit absolutely you know, it's, it's interesting, Andrew. I, you, you asked me, you know, who I am, and 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 I've listened to some of your other podcasts, and I've, I've enjoyed them. Um, and the the uh, and you asked that uh, to all the people, yeah. And I still didn't. I still answering that question is still hard for me. Mm -hmm. Um, even though I had that preparation, and one of the things I didn't say was that I'm a gay man, mm -hmm. and uh, that's important. It's it's not. It's not the most interesting thing about me, and it's not the 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 most important thing about me, but it is important. It is an important thing for me to acknowledge. So I, I just noticed that about about my response. Um, but when I was a when I was a teenager, my parents went on one of those student teacher conferences, and it was one of these things where the team of teachers. I think I was in junior high, and the team of teachers got together, and and so my mom and dad went in and sat down with these four teachers, and um, and asked them what we're, we're open to suggestions with what to do with Andrew. They called mm. me Andrew at the time. Um, and my English teacher looked back at them and said, I, I, I don't have anything for you. In fact, I was going to ask you how you're handling him because I've got the same problem with my kid and <laughs> the same mm. challenges. And, uh, and I don't know what to do either. So I was a little bit out of control as a teenager, nothing horrible, but, um, but, I grew up in a very accepting, affirming Episcopal church. Mm. They were performing uh, same-sex wedding ceremonies in the in the mid seventies. Um, <clears throat> I I grew up not thinking that I was any different than anybody else, even though I had a lot of uh, crushes on guys. Uh, that never it never crossed my mind that the reason for that might be that you know I'm not straight. Mm. Um, 
then in my 20s, um, <clears throat> I hit a little bit of a rough patch and I uh, became a born again Christian as a result. So I went across the freeway in Pasadena and went to the, the evangelical church on the other side and, um, and gave my life to Jesus. And uh, during that period of time, I, I got a master's degree in Christian apologetics from a, a evangelical university that was close by. And in my 30s, the conflict between the part of me that was saying, you know, for a straight guy, I sure do sleep with a lot of men. Mm. And uh, so th there's, there's that part. And then the part that wanted me to be a church leader and, and use my master's degree and, and something I was very passionate about. And uh, so, so that led me to getting sober uh, because, you know, the thing that can relieve that sort of tension from having to manage all those facades. Uh, alcohol does a wonderful job. Mm. <laughs> it just has some side effects. So, uh, so, um, uh, so I, so I got sober in my, in my thirties and uh, I came out in my forties. Um, my, my sponsor told me one time that I, we had just gone down that what we called an inventory and I, and he, he's at the end of the inventory, he said, well, Andy, you're not straight. And I said, well, no kidding. <laughs> mm. And he said, well, if you don't come to terms with this, because I really was in the closet, I was terrified of anybody knowing. Um, he said, if you don't come to terms with this, you're going to, you're going to be out there again, because mm -hmm. that's what I see happening. And um, so what coming to terms with that meant changed over the years. Um, but in my forties, I came out and and then uh, toward the end of my 40s and early 50s, I, I wrote a book about it. So that's kind of my journey. I'm in a, a very affirming, fully affirming church now. Uh, it's, it's another Episcopal church. I had sworn I would never go back to an Episcopal church, but here I am on the vestry of an Episcopal church <laughs> locally, uh, which is for folks that don't know what a vestry is, it's, it's just the leadership board. Uh, it's the, the church members that are kind of on the board. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's been a, it's a, it continues to be a fun ride. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you wrote a book about it and uh, reading this book, really, it, I, I have always been one who has existed in this affirming space. Well, okay, that's a lie. Um, <laughs> recently in, in my adult life, uh, I have moved into an affirming space. I would not say that I was necessarily unaffirming as a youth. I would say I was probably more uneducated. Um, I had never really been approached with the topic of human sexuality in general um, in in any, whether it's um, uh, homosexual relationships, transgender, any of that. I, it, it wasn't a big thing. And as I began to encounter uh, same-sex couples, as I began to encounter you know, people who identified differently than I did as a cisgendered, white, straight man... I began to expand my understanding of it and I began to say, okay, no, this is, um, you know, this is what it means. This is what it looks like. And so your book, as I read it, really, it, it, it took me back to that learning environment. Um, and, and you talk in the book about wanting to create a space for gay Christians to be able to understand how they can learn and grow and live into that sense. But I also see within it an understanding in which we, as as maybe people who uh, either are straight or present straight, can dive deeply into what it looks like to be an affirming person as we seek to understand what it has looked like to be gay 
in the church, whether closeted or out of the closet. And so, uh, you know, you talk about having grown up in the Episcopal Church. Uh, many folks in my denomination, the United Methodist Church, will know that for, for most of us, the Episcopal Church was where we wanted to jump ship to uh, when the United Methodist Church went through a lot of stuff in 2019. Um, and then you talk about going to an evangelical church, um, which uh, we many of us have seen the the horrors of of what it looks like to not toe the evangelical line within that church. And so can you work us through what are, I mean, I don't want to turn this into a bashing session of any kind of church, no. but can can you talk and and help us to understand a little bit why the pain and 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 feelings that were felt in those environments, why it became so difficult for you to feel like you could be comfortable as a gay man in uh, whether it was the church that you grew up in or the church that you came to be born again at. There's a, there's a new book out, came out about a month after mine. Um, I want to say it's Bridget, Eileen Bridget Rivera. I'm probably not getting her first name right, but um, Heavy Burdens, mm -hmm. Seven Ways LGBTQ Christians Experience Harm in the Church. Um, she does a fantastic job in outlining uh, the harms that the traditional approach to uh, what we would, you know, what some people would clinically call homosexuality, but, you know, any, any kind of a not straight, not cisgender mm -hmm. affirming um, uh, lifestyle, it's not a lifestyle, but identity, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> what, what those folks experience when they try to, uh, when they try to get, live their faith in a community. Um, and the, the tagline that got me to read her book was, uh, every single group of people demographically, uh, when, when you, the more religious they get, the less, uh, prone to self-harm they are statistically, mm. except for one group, LGBTQ people, the more religious they are, the more prone they are to self-harm. Mm. Why is it that the worst thing a LGBTQ person can do for their mental health is to go to a religious institution? Yeah. <clears throat> and, and what does that say about the religious institution? So, um, so that got, that got me going on that. For me, the way I approach this is, yeah, you couldn't be out. You can't say that you're gay. And a lot of these church environments, you they don't believe either. They don't believe that gay people exist because they believe that God made you straight. So, and when I say gay, I mean, I, you know, it's the spectrum of, of terms that we call ourselves because there's a lot of them. And it's important that we, that we recognize that. Mm -hmm. But. Look at Eugene Peterson. Mm -hmm. Eugene Peterson wrote uh, many, I think, over ninety books during his career. Um, he his probably his most well known work is the Message, which is a paraphrase of the New Testament. It was very popular starting in the nineties. Mm -hmm. Eugene Peterson made some comments to Christianity Today about how he didn't think it was all that bad to be gay. In fact, he knew some gays and lesbians and bisexuals and. Uh, transgender folks that had better spiritual lives than he felt he had. And he saw them as very decent people. The next day, his publisher contacted him and said, if he didn't retract the comments that they were going to pull every book of his off out of circulation. Mm. 
So there's a there's an environment in and and that's what that's what a a, a pastor or a person faces in a lot of church environments across America, where if they even just by coming out saying, I think I'm gay. No, no, you can't be gay. Mm-hmm. You can be same-sex attracted. You can be struggling with unwanted same-sex attraction disorder, which they is a term that people actually use. Yeah. <laughs> they, so they reduce a, a, an important part and an unchangeable part of, of me, and they reduce it to something that sounds like a skin condition. Hmm. And then they put me in the back row and tell me that I can't participate. And there's always kind of this cloud of doubt around me as I try to participate in this church environment. So, so is that a healthy place for me to put myself? Now, I will tell for all the, for all the people that are in that kind of an environment and they're not LGBTQ or they don't struggle with same sex attraction disorder, <laughs> uh, I don't I don't need to put myself in your club. Mm. I need to put myself in a club where I can actually be acknowledged as a human person and be allowed to grow into the person that God wants me to be. So my mission is not to change your organization. Please don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um your organization because it can't serve 10 to 15% of the population or more may dissolve into obsolescence. But that's your problem. It's not mine. Uh, my problem is I have a life that I'm responsible for, and it's mine. Mm-hmm. And I need to put myself in a place that's going to allow me to grow into the person that I need to be. So that's kind of my approach to the non-affirming church environment uh, that I was that I voluntarily put myself in for several years. Um, I don't need to go out and change people's minds, but not not for me, and not for the people I care about. And and like you said, it becomes uh, a very heaven uh, a very heavy burden uh, to to bear as we think about what it looks like to live out our faith, uh, and you know resting in the existence of the the biblical basis for this podcast of the great commandment, you know, to love our neighbor as ourselves. I, I loved this line in your book when I read it. Uh, you you write that the distraction to fix my inner gay stole my service from people who could have benefited from it. Whether time, money, love, or expertise, when I withheld myself from a needy world in favor of unnecessarily fixing me, I did my spiritual siblings an injustice. Um, and I got to tell you, that was, uh, I, I, I read that line, you know, Kindle tells me that it gets highlighted a lot. <laughs> and I highlighted it as well, because when I read that, <clears throat> I, I heard the message of self-worth, right? When, when our self-worth is attacked... <clears throat> And it's not that you weren't serving other people at that evangelical church. You know, you spend many chapters, many of the opening chapters of this book talking about how you were serving in the evangelical church. Um, Your degree, your master's degree, you earned while you were in that evangelical space, if I'm remembering correctly. And so um, there's service that's happening, but it seems like there's this wrestling with is the service that I am offering like the full service of who God has called me to be, or am I just giving because I feel like it's what I'm supposed to be doing? Andrew, had I been able to be honest with myself Mm -hmm. because I was not capable, that conversation I had with myself for a straight guy, I sure do sleep with a lot of men. Yeah, that was, I I really believed I was a straight guy. Now, by definition, I was not a straight guy. Mm 
So I wasn't capable of being honest with myself at the time, but had I been, and had I been willing to be honest with the church I was serving in, and had I been capable of being honest with the educational institution I was at, I would not have been able to serve in the roles I was serving. Mm. So in order for me to serve the gospel, I had to be dishonest. Mm. And there's a and in the chapter on coming out, uh, you know, serving the gospel in honesty and in truth is one of the parts of that chapter, one of the stories that I tell with uh, yeah. uh, with with our rector Paul. So his story, but yeah, uh, the you're right. I, service is what it's about. We we get into these churches. They say we're not a religion; we're a relationship. Mm-hmm. I I believe that. I believe that Christianity is about having a relationship with God. Um, the, the, in fact, above the, uh, the rotunda at my church, it says the one thing, the one thing truly worthwhile in life is being friends with God. Uh, it's a quote from St. Gregory of Nyssa. Um, but how many of our friend friendships and relationships do we measure based on performance? You know, oh, you're a good performing friend. That sounds, doesn't that sound sick? Mm. That's how we measure our relationship with God. And so in order to become, to go into a healthy relationship with God through Jesus Christ, what I had to stop measuring uh, my performance as the measure of our relationship. And instead, and, and, and I, I have a chapter on spirit, on growth and growing, mm-hmm. um, instead I measure it on my uh, ability to contribute and to serve. And so serving others, and Jesus said, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Mm-hmm. You know, by this, they will know you are my disciples, that you conquer your addiction to internet porn. Mm. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> by this, you'll know that they will know that you are my <laughs> disciples, your love for, for each other. Um, and, and so, so that's, how I have changed my model of how I look at, at my relationship with God. And it has allowed me to utilize the grace that comes through the gospel to actually be worth something to others without having to lie. Yeah. Lie to yourself, lie to your family, lie to your friends, even lie to God. <laughs> um, yep. And then the, emotional, the mental ramifications that a life like that holds over ourselves when we do not understand our inherent self-worth and our inherent self-worth to, to, to label that as our inherent self-worth of who we feel like we have been created as, uh, and, and who we feel like God has created us to be. And if we can't sit with that, you know, we see the mental and emotional toll that this takes on on the LGBTQ community and the just the mental toll it takes on our especially on our LGBTQ youth who are struggling with these things and are coming into these spaces and they're not given that inherent space of self-worth <clears throat> and then it almost comes to destroy the communities that they're a part of um because you know we we see the statistics the the suicide rates are higher um the the need and the access to mental health which many of these churches struggle with because the mental health uh, the the mental health process the mental health process runs through the spiritual leader. It doesn't run through any sort of coherent, oftentimes uh, medically certified mental health board. And so, it 
it really comes to then destroy the spiritual and emotional health of the Christian community that surrounds it. And so I, I love the the idea that you put on that, that this is one of those times where I become so focused on myself, right? I become so focused on trying to fix what is not actually a problem that I lose out on the opportunity to do what God has actually called me to do. And so instead of caring for myself by accepting who, by being accepting of who I am and being in a community that's accepting of who I am, you know, I'm trying to, you know, like you tell your, like you, like you said, I'm trying to fix my, my gayness, my transgenderness, my, you know, and, and I mean, you know, it can go into any number of things. Uh, and, and I agree with you that sexuality, human sexuality and, and gender identity, that's, that's probably one of the biggest things, um, social issues that the church really faces, you know, as much as we try and push back on, on other ones in the church as well. Um, you know, that's where it is right now. And then to ignore that, they kind of go back and they try and take on everything else. And so, oh, go ahead. So think about this. God has restored and healed gangsters, drug addicts, thieves, common criminals, uncommon criminals. There are stories after story after story about how God has healed these folks. We do not have that track record when it comes to LGBTQ people. Mm. What we have is a legacy of 50 years of the church since the, since the, um, uh, Amer- the uh, APA, American Psychiatric Association, took homosexuality out of their diagnostic manual as a malady. So the church freaked out and they started this conversion therapy movement um, and sexual orientation change effort. Mm-hmm. And in 50 years, the track record, I, I give it three Fs, failure, fraud, and fornication. Mm-hmm. That's all we got out of it for, for 50 years. And so the, the, the question I ask is, and, and I, I, one, one more story about mental health in a second, but the question I ask is, if God is fixing all these other people, and God's not fixing this part of you, mm-hmm. maybe the reason that God's not fixing it is it's not something that's broken. And, you know, there's a few people raising their hands saying, oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not uh, gay anymore because of Jesus. And then you'll, the, what, what, the stories you don't see because they don't hit the, the, the headlines are them hitting on people in a gay bar the next month. And, and I, you know, there's story after story on that, but I asked, I caught up with one of these guys that was running a, an ex-gay organization in the church. He had a large ministry in the, in the Southeast. Um, and he recently came out and, uh, they fired him because, you know, you can't be gay and run an organization that says God, God will heal you from being gay. Mm-hmm. And, and he, and he said after 26 years, it never worked. I never stopped being gay. I never, all I did was shove it down deep inside myself and get miserable. And the mm-hmm. longer I went, the more miserable I got. And here I am. I can't take it anymore. I just can't take it anymore. I got to leave or I'm going to self-destruct. Mm-hmm. And so that's what happened. Um, this per- so I caught up with this person because I, I, I said, his name's McCray Game. And I, I asked him, I said, you know, I'm, I'm looking for your education. You were counseling teenagers on, on how to stop being gay. That's some pretty heavy stuff. What licenses did you have? 
And he said, I had nothing. Now, when I say nothing, what I mean is the, the education he had after high school included two courses at a community college on landscape maintenance. That's who parents were sending their children to for this heavy, heavy work. Yeah. Wake up, guys. Wake up. It's a fraud. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I want to focus on the mental side of that as well, because <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it really, I, it's, it's so tough to, I, I, it's not, it's not, I'm, I'm a pastor and it's not tough as it, you know, as most people make it out to be. Um, but there, there's a nature in which we need to be critical about ourselves, especially in the church. And especially if we're going to be the focal point of what it looks like to care for ourselves as we think about living this life. And anytime I reflect, I mean, hearing stories of LGBT youth who have gone through these conversion therapy experiences, you know, youth from my past, from when I was a youth and friends, I am, I'm in my thirties. And so I'm not, you know, I, 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 I say that to say I wasn't around when conversion therapy was big, you know, when I was a youth, it was on the downturn, right? Uh, when I was in college is, is right about that time. Millennials are that generation where um, el- like identifying as, as lesbian, gay or bisexual begins to like become a little bit more common. But you still hear these stories of kids going to conversion therapy and you see these after effects of, of the mental health. And we have to ask ourselves like, is this healthy in any way, shape, or form? And you say no. Um, and so the mental effects, the mental health side of this entire thing that plays into this self-worth cause is helping us to understand this self, the, the self-care nature as we talk about it. Um, and so what, what does it mean? I mean, I, I'm not really sure I know how to ask this question. And so... Yep. Um, but almost what does it mean to recover from that mentality? Um, okay. Yeah, for that to have been your mentality. What does it mean for you to kind of recover from that? I've got a three-step process. All right. <laughs> it, there's probably more to it. It's probably like way too shallow, but that's okay. We like three, we like three points. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do? Do you do five-point sermons or three-point sermons? I, I just preach until the Spirit tells me to stop. <laughs> okay, good. All right. See, it, that's the other, that's the other good thing about being in an Episcopal church. Our sermons are like 15 minutes, yeah. you know, in the, in the evangelical church, they were like 45 minutes and oh, they're just getting warmed up. So. I'm, I'm, I'm usually like a 20 minute kind of guy. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Uh, so, um, so here's where, so you keep talking about inherent self-worth, understanding our inherent self-worth, understanding that we're created in God's image. And a lot of, there's a, there's a part of our culture that would, would, would have me stand in front of a mirror and tell myself. Andy, you're created in God's image. God loves you. You're lovable. You're, a, you're worthy of love. You're worthy of the love of others. My challenge is, as a person who has low self-esteem as one of his issues, my challenge is, I don't believe myself. Mm. Okay? I know I'm lying. I, I think I know I'm lying. So how do I get to where I believe that story? Number one is, that re- recently there's a there's a show that I'm not going to watch on on uh, Netflix that's about Jeffrey Dahmer because uh, I don't need to, I just don't need to watch that. But <laughs> but you know I don't want Jeffrey Dahmer st- sitting in front of a mirror saying I'm a good person, right? I want Jeffrey Dahmer to be honest about who Jeffrey Dahmer is, right? Mm. 
most of the people that are listening to this aren't Jeffrey Dahmer. Most of them are probably like me. I've got good stuff and I've got stuff that might, you know, be, be changeable. So, so my ability to be honest with myself is important to recognize and be okay with all the things that I do that aren't where I, what I'd like to, what I'd like to be. Um, and just be okay with that, be accepting of that and be okay with that, but also recognizing the the positives Mm -hmm. and knowing what those are growing into a position where I see what God sees and appreciates in me. God so loved the world. He sent his son. That means God loved me. Why? Mm -hmm. What does God see in me that is lovable? If I can answer that question, then I can stand in front of a mirror and believe myself because I'm, I'm telling myself the truth and I know it. Um, that, so number one is get to a place where you can be honest with yourself. And that means you can have a skinned knee. Mm-hmm. That means you can have those, it, those issues and you're okay. And that's living the gospel of grace. Uh, the s- second, and that's why there's, there's one chapter on each topic in my book, except the gospel. There's two. Mm-hmm. Uh, be grateful. M- moving from a place of um, worry and fear to a place of gratitude. I call it zero-based budgeting. I took a management class in college where they, uh, where they taught us all these different budget systems. Zero-based budgeting means you start with zero and you start building your budget from the ground up mm-hmm. rather than taking what you did last year and adding and subtracting from it. Um, so zero-based budgeting in, in gratitude to me means that when I get up in the morning and I go downstairs and I pour myself a cup of water, my ability to to have access to clean drinking water puts me in the top two-thirds of the people in the world because a third of the people in the world don't have access to clean drinking water. Um, that's something I can be grateful for. That's zero-based uh, budgeting and gratitude. Um, the third thing is growing uh, in service to others rather than purity of whatever mm-hmm. the absence of sin, measuring my life based on my ability to contribute rather than whether or not I did the wrong thing or the right thing. I still got to pay attention to that stuff. And I, and I keep very short accounts every day. I'm thinking about, you know, did I blow that? If I blew it, I've got on it. I've, I've got the ability to be honest. I can face it. I can fix it. But but that doesn't measure who I am as a person. Um, and at the end of the day, if I do those three things, if I'm honest with myself, if I'm living in gratitude and I'm growing in service and showing up for others, um, I can believe myself when I look at myself in the mirror and say, you know what? Yeah, you got some issues, but everybody's got some issues. You're a good guy, Andy. You're a good guy and you deserve the love that you get. And then building on that, I think there's that internal work and then there's also the external work which is something that I that that you uh, you haven't talked about you talk about in the book and you've ad- I mean you've addressed it a little bit but but moving to that you know more affirming episcopal community that you move to and you talk in the book about trying to find that community and what it looked like to find that community um and I love the pastor who told you no you also need to try these other churches um yeah. because as a pastor I'm like no you can stay here you can stay here I promise like we're cool here no <laughs> Um, but even that process in it, right. There's that internal work that we do within ourselves of, of recognizing that. Um, but then there's also that external work 
which often might be the harder one for us to engage in of finding I mean, finding a community that'll welcome us in, finding a community yeah. that, that'll be affirming. Um, and unfortunately for a lot of folks, it means leaving our community of origin. I mean, unfortunately, it might mean leaving our family of origin. And there's a lot that's there's a lot that's sad in that. There's a lot of, of grief that goes through that. Um, but I think also recognizing the role that community can play in that in that healing process for us. And so what has uh, what has that community, uh, whether it's your church community, your friend community, your family community, what role have they played in helping uh, to to bring out this sense of worth in you? It's fantastic. Uh, so as as you're talking, I'm thinking about two instances over the last, I guess I've been a member there for nine years. Um, one is the phone call that so-and-so is stuck in his apartment and uh, could really use people to bring him food and company. So I was one of the people that brought that person food and company. Mm. And that was really neat. Um, and then one day I had surgery on my foot and I couldn't, get, I, I have a two-story place. And so I was pretty much limited to the second floor. And every day, somebody from my church was the, was the, did the same thing for me. Um, and they would sit and the best one was uh, our choir director brought his uh, Husky over. And um, it was so wonderful because I was cleaning up Husky hair for the next two weeks. <laughs> and uh, every hair that I had to clean out of wherever reminded me of the wonderful time I had with, with uh, the choir director and his Husky. Uh, it, it, it just, the the community has been uh very supportive in the work that I've done but also they've offered they've allowed me a place where I can serve and grow in service and they've allowed me to to figure out what that looks like for me and I think that's really the important thing is that you know if you're if you're going to a church that's a good show with a great sermon. I'm sure your sermons are great, but you know, if that's all your church is, hey, great sermon, great worship music, then you leave. Well, that's not the church that's not the church that I think Jesus envisioned. I don't think it's the church most pastors envision. Mm-hmm. I, I think when we're when we're in seminary and we're thinking about, you know, what do I want my church to be like? I don't want my church to be like that. I want my church to be a community of people that come up alongside each other and lift each other up. And and uh, so that's what I found. And it took a little bit of looking, not a lot, but it took a little bit. And finding that community, I would imagine, helps to fulfill that understanding that you hopefully are are finding as you continue to grow in this lifestyle. Uh, and as others around you begin to learn and see the the Christian, the person that you are, it, it helps them to grow in their understanding too. Uh, and I just like, I love that that story about how community lifts us up. And when community works alongside of us, the affirming nature that that brings. I mean, that that I often think is is sort of the hindrance in in a lot of churches in our modern time is is we often get in the way of ourselves because we try and put these rules and stipulations um, 
on folks. You know, we, we try and make yeah. the church building the central point in the community and say, you know, you have to come to us. And then in coming to us, you have to be exactly like us instead of, you know, the message that we see over and over in the gospels, which is, you know, Jesus does not require the 5,000 people to come to the synagogue, but Jesus meets these 5,000 people and offers them, you know, a good message on the kingdom in a field. Uh, and, and we see it all over the way in which we engage with people, the way in which we sit and listen to them, the way in which we people are included in God's kingdom is the way in which we begin to build actual fruitful community that God calls us to build. Uh, and, and this kind of leads into this last little area that I, that I want us to cover. And, and it's the last area that, that I think really hit, hits home, at least for someone uh, who, is, who is not uh, gay, is how how can I help you? Like, what can I do that would help uh, LGBT folks feel more welcome, feel more affirmed, feel more included? Uh, and it, it really comes back to that nature of of judgment, of condemnation that kind of exists in our church. Uh, and and you put a, I mean, you label it really well in the book. You say, "What's my job?" <laughs> um, and it says, "God does not ask for our help convicting, chastising, or judging His children. He provides for that already with His Holy Spirit. What God has given us is the charge to love one another as He loves us." And I think there's this line in the church that if God judges us, we should judge in the same light as God judges us. And yeah. what I like to remind people is we see over and over again in Scripture. That God, when God is faced with the ability to judge someone, even in a negative light, there is still mercy and grace that is offered in that space. Um, and so as you're going around, as you're speaking to people, as you're lifting up communities, what is that message that you're offering to folks as we think about what it looks like to not show God's judgment, but to show God's love? So I, I think, I think we're on the precipice of the next step mm -hmm. in in the world of of inclusion and affirmation. Um, it's nice that many churches have let us in, and have allowed us to um, fulfill the calling that God has ordained us with. Um, incidentally, that is a that m move right there is one of repentance. Because it is a sin that the church has excluded the people that God loved and called. Um, it's it, it's Matthew twenty three four talks about people heaping the religious leaders. Jesus is critical of the religious leaders for heaping heavy burdens um, on on these people without being willing to lift a finger for them. Um, and so now we, we're we're figuring out that we don't need to heap the heavy burden of the message "Don't be gay" because it's it's insane. Next is there is a community that has real needs that we can ask ourselves how to minister to. Part of the church thinks that that means that okay, how do we figure out how to solve their sin? That's not their problem. Mm. Their problem isn't their sin. With with gay men, the problem is methamphetamine use. Mm. Is the church willing? That's not the only problem, but it's one of the epidemics that I've been, I've, that's been on my mind recently. Uh, does the church, okay, great, you let us in. 
It's great that you've allowed us to take the positions that God ordained for us. Um, are you willing to minister to a community that has real needs? Apart from just seeing us as a bunch of people that have a sticker on our forehead that says LGBTQ. And that means getting to know the community around you and getting to know what the specific needs are of the community that's in your neighborhood. And in my neighborhood, meth is a huge deal. Mm. It might not be a huge deal in another neighborhood. It might be homelessness. It might be, uh, it might be food and shelter. It, you know, I don't know what it is in every community, but unless you're willing to actually get out and be a minister of the gospel, and that involves listening and caring and loving, uh, then nice. I got a, I got a seat at your table. I'm, 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 you know, you, you stopped sinning against me. Great. Mm. Uh, take a step forward. Take a step forward in love and ministry and action and um, see where that leads. I think God has some stuff in store for our church shortly. Hmm. And as as you reflect on where you've been and where you are now, how would you describe that that burden, that understanding that has kind of been lifted off? You know, I mean, I often think of writing as just letting everything out, all the feelings and everything. And I can I can definitely see that in in the text that 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 you have offered. Uh, what it what is that been? What has that process been for you? What what have you discovered about yourself? What have you discovered about your relationship, not just with the church, but with friends, with family, with cre- with all of creation? I am. Uh... I learned so much writing this book. It it was such a blessing that I took half the books from my uh, master's work and I, I donated them about three months before I decided to write a book mm. that I would that I would need to use those books for. <laughs> so I was kicking myself. Oh, I'd have everything I would have had everything I needed in my you know, here in my house. But uh, what instead I had to go to the local um theological seminary uh Graduate Theological Union, which is a big old library over in Berkeley, mm. and it's a great library, and it got me out of the house, and it got me to to be exposed to new books and new ideas and new things. Um, so I learned a ton from studying. I learned, I met people. I've I have met people and become friends and gotten friends that I never would have dreamed of. Um, and you know, here's here it is in a nutshell. Ten years ago, I was afraid to come out to anybody. I was afraid to come out to my parents. I was afraid to come out to my coworkers. I was afraid to come out to, um, and you know, even people in the in the in the gay bay, which we used to we used to call the San Francisco Bay area, the gay bay. Mm. Um, today, if you Google Andy Wells and gay, I'm the first search result. Mm. Um, and in the beginning, I was I was competing with a fan site for Andrew Wells from Buffy the Vampire Slayer because uh, somebody thought he was gay, but <laughs> but, uh, but but now I'm now I've 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 kicked his butt. I'm I'm at the top there. I'm I'm way gayer than Andrew Wells from Buffy, uh, but uh, according to Google, um, but you know, today like I I got on a on a I, I gave the diversity moment at work, um, for I don't know almost 2000 leaders at work. Mm. Um, and, and that was a little jarring only because, you know, having two minutes to give a diversity message to 2000 people in front of the senior, senior, senior people at the, at your job 
is just daunting. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the the change, my ability to be myself and show up every day without having to put on a different persona um, has allowed me to be more myself, be at ease with myself, walk away from fear and worry. And uh, I, I really appreciate, and that, that came from writing the book that came from processing through all these things. And, you know, I had my beliefs before, but now they are much more solidly seated as a result of the work I've done. Hmm. And, and what a, a space to exist in as you've brought this part of yourself to, uh, in, in a more accepting place in your life and created relationships around that accepting relationship that as you've built your own self-worth, it's, it's translated into that form of self-care that has not just opened your own mental, emotional, physical, spiritual capacity, but it's opened up your capacity to be able to do the work that God has called you to do. And I yeah. think at the end of the day, that, that really is the, that continues to be the point of caring for ourselves is uh, the more that we care for ourselves, the more that we are able to do for folks. And while that may look weird, like because we're taking, you know, 10 hours a day to, to care for ourselves, think of the amount of awesome work we can do in the other, you know, 14, which we're probably not doing 14 hours worth of, but, but the amount of time we take to care for ourselves, think of the greater work that gets done in that amount of time that we work for others. And so, uh, I mean, this has just been a great conversation. I'm, gl- I'm so glad you reached out because uh, between reading your book and this conversation, this has been awesome and great. So let's wrap up with these, with a, with these end of podcast questions. And uh, what's something that has made you feel accomplished? Well, I, I'm going to skip the book because that's the obvious answer. Um, what made me feel accomplished was um, w- learning how to windsurf and um, surviving the uh, w- one of the most treacherous places to do it, which is the San Francisco Bay, uh, holding on for dear life, thinking I was going to die, finishing. The, my goal, you know, this was the North, North American Championships, and my goal, that these guys were, uh, it was their Olympic trials for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And my goal was to finish. I, I had to come in, I think 45 minutes behind the first, uh, the first finisher in order to actually get a horn when I finished, when I went across the finish line and my job, I was falling in the water so much. My job was to finish with a horn mm-hmm. and, uh, and I did. So yeah, that, that makes me feel accomplished. Um, aside from God, who do you go to when life gets tough? I have a whole host of friends mm. who I, who I, they, they, they're people who I want to be like, and I call the person who responds the way I wish I could when I need help in a particular area. And I ask them, I, I, I pose the situation to them. Uh, and I'm very fortunate and blessed to have those people in my life. And then what is an upcoming goal that you have? Upcoming goal is to define my the next step of my career based on my passions um, as they've been recalibrated over the years, hmm. and um, I'm I'm searching right now. I'm searching for what what life is going to look like in my in my late in my fifties and and going into my sixties, and um, I'm really looking for a a life that um, is is meaningful. And 
and builds on on the spiritual things that I've been working on rather than just the the professional life that I've had so far. So I don't know what that looks like, mm. but I'm that's my goal. My goal is to define that. Awesome. Well, Andy, it's been great to have you on this podcast. I hope that uh, listeners have gotten as much from this conversation as I have. So thank you for joining today. Thank you, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. So this was a conversation that I really much enjoyed in terms of hearing the perspective that Andy offers uh, in this space, in this place, in this conversation, um, the conversation that we were able to have. As I said, Andy reached out to me asking if he could come on this podcast, uh, you know, offered me uh, the opportunity to have this conversation with him about these uh, ideas, about these topics. And I really took away... um, even just my own understanding of what it means to help to be an ally in this space and in this community, to help others in their own understanding and uh, ideology of self-worth in their lives. Uh, I don't know that for, for many of us, we look at some of the bad things that we go through um, and, and really consider the nature of self-worth that happens. Uh, but for many folks in this world, uh, including our LGBT brothers and sisters, self-worth is something that is hard to find because they have been made to feel so worthless. And so if we are going to practice self-care as an embodiment of our faith, then we definitely need to come into this space and help uh, folks to know the way in which they are loved and cared for by God, by a community, by those who surround them. And so I think from this conversation, I take an understanding of how can I be a better ally in those spaces where people may not have that sense of self-worth? Where can I bring in this nature of love and care for those people who need it most in our society? Uh, Rather than even just thinking about the theology of self-care that I'm trying to build in my own life. How am I helping others to build their theology? Which, uh, in in reflection, definitely is something that we can offer to folks as we continue to be in ministry with others and in ministry for God. And so we think about those ways in which we are an ally, in which we stand alongside and offer that love, that genuine relationship to help others learn and grow as well. And so uh, I want to thank Andy so much for coming on. Uh, This has been an awesome experience, uh, an awesome conversation that I was able to have with him. Uh, Don't forget to hop on over to the Active Faith Facebook group to uh, join in conversation there as well. We uh, always are loving to celebrate all kinds of fun and amazing things. I would also like to uh, give a shout out to my patrons, David Vaughn, Pam Anderson, Amy Dane. And actually, right after our conversation, Andy was so gracious to hop on as a patron as well. Thank you so much, Andy, uh, for that gift, for that uh, contribution to this mission and ministry. If you would like to be one of those patrons, if you would like to help to uh, continue this mission and ministry, continue to help me offer all of these different things, all of these various aspects, hop on over to patreon.com slash run and rev. A gift of any monthly contribution uh, is will get you my love and gratitude as well as a shout out here on the episode. And uh, as I'm still doing, I still have some stickers left. And so uh, if you come on to the Patreon and if you come on as a patron, uh, you will get a few stickers 
stickers, just a, a token of my appreciation. Uh, don't forget to follow and subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you uh, hit that follow, hit that subscribe button. Make sure these episodes pop into your feed when they're available. And friends, if you can help out, please just hop on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. Uh, we're still at 10 ratings and one review. I'd love to see some of those numbers come up uh, so that we can continue to, to reach new people, help others hear these conversations. And don't forget to share it. Share it with a friend. Invite them to listen along. And now may God bless each of us and may we, may we find ways to stay active in and for God's kingdom. Amen.